Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today we have another record label interview. It's so exciting because this is a label, Winspear, by the way, who I've, um, you know, they've just been on my radar, They're just in my feed and aware of their records and uh, of their, you know, just their branding. They just come up for whatever reason, which means that this label is doing something good. But I've known about this label for the past five years or so. And it was, I mentioned this right off the the, the top, that this was a label I had been hoping to have on the, the podcast for the past five years. And it's so great to just see a label, keep going, keep doing whatever it is that they do so well. Uh, and to be around for as long as these guys have. And it, that's so great. Anyway, we dig in um, some really cool stuff and we get to kind of highlight some of the ins and outs of, of running a record label. That's exactly what this podcast is all about. And sometimes it's getting some, uh, learning some things that we didn't know before. And sometimes, and in the case of this episode, it's just putting a name to something that we already knew. Um, but when you really measure it and you really write it down, it, it resonates a lot more. So I hope you enjoy today's interview. Go to Winspear, that's W-I-N-S-P-E-A-R dot biz. And uh, also, uh, if you are thinking about starting a record label, go to otherrecordlabels.com slash toolkit, where you can download our free toolkit for free, 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 otherrecordlabels.com slash toolkit. I just realized that like Windspear was kind of in this like circle of labels that I had kind of like dreamt of having on the show back when I started five years ago. And I don't know why it's taken so long to kind of make this connection, but um, I do, I was just kind of thinking like there were labels in my mind that I followed on Twitter that I thought like this will be a guest I would like to have on the show. So I, I'm sorry that it's taken five years. <laughs> oh no, no worries. Yeah, I definitely remember when you first got going, I think it kind of like coincided with my, you know, I feel like I, I think I discovered podcasts a while ago, but I got like really into podcasts around like 2018 or so. Yeah. Okay. That's when, when we did, started. Yeah. 2018. Started. Yeah. March. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it just kind of like coincided with that. And I was just like, loved learning about, you know, lots of random things through podcasts. Yeah. Obviously I have an yeah. interest in music and record labels. And like, I think I would, I think I would listen to your podcast and like the breakthrough Brian right. Right. Um, would do yeah. interviews with record labels. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. 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 I, I can't remember who all, who else, but I always found them super interesting, you know, just hearing everyone's story and like where they come from and yeah. that. So definitely yeah. appreciate what you're doing. Oh no, that's, that's cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be chatting with you. Um, I, I want to ask you something right off the bat. Um, just kind of like going through the, the, um, your, your site and your roster and your projects and stuff. Um, uh, something caught my eye, like right away. I think it's beautiful. It's something I actually don't see a lot, but you guys have a label compilation um, mm -hmm. that you've done as like a pretty deluxe effort with vinyl and tapes and CDs and merch. And the artwork is gorgeous. Um, not a lot of comps are like pressed to vinyl. Like some people will just kind of like put something together on Bandcamp. So can you like, I know this is kind of like just start hitting the ground running, but like, can you kind of like share with us your strategy for that? Yeah, I mean, I think that was something that, like, my label partner, Ben, had first brought up as an idea. 
I mean, I think something we were both kind of like interested in doing and figuring out how to do it. And I think his contribution to that idea was making this kind of like physical uh, product and mm-hmm. physical artifact that would exist and, you know, be able to kind of showcase a lot of the uh, labels artists. And I, I think we both would have liked to time it perfectly with like a five year anniversary, yeah, or 10 year right, anniversary, right. but it sort of felt like this was the time to do Good. it. Like yeah. we, we kind of accumulated enough releases and it was like, yeah. I think we were like seven years in or something. Mm. It was kind of a random number. The but, seventh uh, year itch. Yeah. Yeah. Know, the seventh yeah. year itch. And yeah. so, you know, I think we compiled and we also, part of the reason too, is like we had this like space at our pressing plant and we were like, now's the time. Like, let's like, Oh, okay. Cause it, it was kind of right during that like weird vinyl crunch as well, where it was like oh. really hard to like, oh, get stuff yeah. out. you'd have to wait like, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 months. Um, and so we'd kind of like reserved all this space in advance with our plant who was being really accommodating and helpful. And we wanted to use some of that space and we thought now's the perfect time. So we kind of got, got the physical side of it yeah. together. And yeah. like, as that was moving, we kind of like, you know, thought about how can we kind of expand this into like the digital world and yeah. like do some things on that end. So it, it did kind of start on the physical realm first as the concept. And then we kind of expanded it from there. I always think like, you know, some of the artists that I've been on my label over the years, like years and years ago, they would say, we should do this where we should, you know, cover each other's songs or we should put a comp together or this kind of thing. And I always like, was like, you know what, that's going to be cool to us, but to no one else. And I feel like comps like run the risk of being like self-indulgent a little bit at the same time, like there, there's iconic, you know, fat record compilations from years and years ago that like all of us had in high school on CD and stuff. So, and, and there's like smaller labels today that, I'll download 30 tracks from Bandcamp and there's something cool about that, especially if they have like a cohesive sound. Um, so that's kind of like a, there's kind of a fine line there where, where it's like, it is a little bit self-indulgent, um, but it's also like some fans really do appreciate it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think kind of like riffing off of some of like Ben's initial ideas with the project, it was like, all right, how do we, kind of like serve both purposes here where it's like it is kind of like a celebration of all we've done and it is like a bit self-indulgent and it is kind of like for us in the like head so to speak and uh and also make it kind of like financially viable so it's not just you know gonna be a like you know vanity project or something like that and so i think the way we did it and it kind of worked where you know we just kind of had to go all in on it and treat it as like any other release where it's like all right we're putting together like a full budget for it like we're gonna like do some like pr and marketing around it we're gonna have some like new digital releases as a part of it so that way we can like pitch the editorial at like spotify and apple and like get some get some like you know digital uh revenue generated for this project as well so it can kind of have this like holistic because because i feel like with every release sometimes you don't really know what's going to happen with it where it's like sometimes 
sometimes you have one song that yeah. just like really takes off yeah. on Spotify or one song that really takes off on Apple or just the vinyl does really well and the digital kind of stays in the like normal zone. And yeah. so I think like being able to like check all those boxes and like set yourself up for as many possible like moments right. is going to be beneficial. Well, I think that um, I, I respect that you did vinyl and and the other uh, formats as well, but because it otherwise it's a playlist essentially. It's and you know and it's it's just a compilation. It's it's almost like you're telling people to take this seriously, and it and it's 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 subconscious. It's like I think as a music fan, for me, I when I go to your homepage and I see this, I click on this product. The artwork is totally up my alley. I really like it. And everything all together in the way it kind of it matches the tapes and it matches the merch and all that. It's a campaign. It feels like a campaign. And totally. so now I'm like, as opposed to being like, here's a playlist we put together of some of our tracks, even though it could be the exact same songs. But now I, I, I feel like I should be paying more attention to it. Totally. Yeah. And that was the goal to kind of like set up as a campaign, like, you know, have do everything we do for a normal release where it's like, here's the CD version, yeah. here's the tape yeah. version, yeah. here's the focus track for digital, like here's the press release about it. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Well, there's kind of a loss leader aspect to it too. I don't know if you found this, but like, I mean, like for giveaways at local record stores or even the idea of having a Windspear compilation in record stores, like, I don't know. I, th I feel like it's, it's advertising as well. Yeah, I think that's the other goal with it all is like, you know, um, getting getting the name of the label out there to record stores. Um, you know, we made a lot of promo CDs as well. That's something I remember, like, because both Ben and I interned at Secretly. Um, like, I interned on the label side and Ben interned on the distribution side and, you know, part of part of being an intern would be like going up and like seeing the like shelves of promo CDs and like grabbing anything that was interesting to you. And, yeah. you know, they distribute a lot of cool labels over there. And I remember like grabbing a paradise, of bachelor sampler and grabbing, um, I think it was like a constellation sampler mm. and, um, there's just a lot of cool labels and like checking yeah. out all these songs. And I think that's how I like discovered like the weather station, like, you know, wow. one of my favorite artists yeah. from one of those Paris to bachelor comps. And, um, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, it's just kind of a cool yeah. way to do it. And they, they have like a system of like sending out those samplers as well. So it was something I've always wanted to do is like tap into that and like just have this free sampler that could be sitting at record stores oh, and people okay. can like, you know, discovery. So they, they were like shipped out to like all these record stores as like free freebies that they could like have at the counter. Oh, well. that's really cool. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I think it's good. I mean, I think it's, do you hear, I'm sorry to be so in the weeds about this and we'll move on, I promise. But I, <laughs> no. I, that's kind of like, you know, that's what everybody wants is, is some of these details. But my question for you would be, you, you did this at seven years ish. And is this something like, you talk about it being the right time. Is this something like you wouldn't necessarily do in year one, year two, year three? Like, uh, is that, is that kind of fair to say? I, I think, I mean, like, are you, are you asking if that's something, if I was talking to like mm -hmm. a, a label that yes. was just getting started today? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends. Like if you're the kind of label that 
puts out a hefty amount of releases per year and you feel like you need to do that uh, to shine a light on these releases and some of these, um, you know, songs or titles that didn't get enough shine or like, you know, you're kind of putting out at enough pace that you can do that for us. Like we've kind of always taken a, a less is more approach to like the number of releases we do every year. And like, I think the most we've ever done was like three albums in a year. Oh, wow. yeah, I mean, we do like EPs and singles, so it's like yeah, they're, sure, sure, they're sure. literally just wouldn't have... I mean, I think when we first started, we did a bit more because it was just like digital and cassette only, yeah. and it was less of a like financial lift, and like also we didn't know what we were doing, you know? Yeah, so uh, yeah. we didn't realize like how much time and effort it takes to like do a release properly. Yeah. And um, so I guess maybe my advice would be like, wait a little bit until you've kind of built up a catalog and built up some names too, where like people could turn over to the back of the record and be like, Oh, I know like two or three of these artists, but I don't know the rest. So I'm going to grab this and like, you know, check out the rest of them. Yeah. Cause I I think there is some psychology to it as well. When you're kind of listening to, if you are thinking of it in the basic, just like playlist mentality of like, we curated this playlist for people like people like to hear things that they're familiar with already mixed in with things they don't. Sure. And it's like harder to digest something that you're just like a hundred percent completely unfamiliar with. Yeah. You know, th- there are the crate diggers and like, you know, the <laughs> yeah. folks who, who really enjoy just like digging into something they've never heard before. Completely yeah. unfamiliar with it. But I think most people, um, need some sort of entry point right. um, to be able to, you know, uh, enjoy it the same way. Um, the black vinyl, I was kind of surprised by because it really matches the design of the album cover. I don't know if you did another variant, but, um, I, I saw that it was black vinyl and it's funny because I was recently thinking about how I always feel pressured to do some sort of like cool vinyl color on a project, but there's been some cases where I'm like, I think black would work the best with this album cover. And I know with your compilation, it's black and white. And so it looks like black makes a ton of sense, but I don't know. I don't know about you, but I always, I feel pressure. Like people are not going to buy a record if it's not a cool color. Definitely. I feel that pressure. I think for this project, we were like aware that like, it was, there was like a vanity aspect to it. And yeah. we were like, let's, well, I think stylistically we wanted to keep it black and white yeah. and minimal. Like yeah. that was the whole goal, but also just like 500 black vinyl. That's as cheap as you can go, you know? Yeah. So, right. right. Uh, <laughs> that felt like the obvious move for yeah. both reasons. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I think that's a great point. I do always feel pressured as well to do the color version. And I think part of that is just from like the marketing aspect of like sharing these vinyl colors. You're like, yeah, uh, the, the different colors pop, you can like cord. It's just like, you know, kind of like curating like an outfit that you'd wear. Yeah. In a day. Yeah. Like, Oh, let me match this vinyl color to this center label. Or yeah. This vinyl yeah. Color to like yeah. That little orange square in the artwork yeah. and like really make it pop. It's kind of like, it's, it's fun to play with that. And when you're, when you're just working with black, it's just like, that's what you got. And, you know. Yeah. And, the, and it becomes more about like, I think diehard music fans who want 
the music, they really don't care to a certain extent. Like um, vinyl collectors care, but I think, you know, if you want a record on vinyl, you just want a copy of it. Whereas I feel like you're right about that matching component because I think, you know, hundreds of thousands of people will see your vinyl on Twitter, the mock-ups on Twitter and Instagram, but only like a few hundred people actually will own a copy. So it's almost like your, I think clothing is a great example because like you're dressing for, you're dressing it up for all these people just to impress all these people on Instagram and posting the screenshots Mm. on Twitter. And they're maybe not your customer, but they just look at it and go, oh, that's cool. That's how I think about it. Totally. Yeah. But I agree. I'm, and, and I think, I think we are trying to like step back and be like, all right, let's not just make the color. Cause you have to, yeah, yeah. we just started working with this, um, new artist Lutala that I'm really excited for. And we're reissuing their first EP on vinyl and we're just going to do all black, um, which is the first time we've done that in a minute we've, we've done that before but yeah. you know it, it is like it is just an ep so it's yeah. like we want to save some juice for like there's going to be another ep coming out later this year and we're like all right let's like you know start with all black vinyl and then yeah. like introduce the color vinyl there and then it's yeah. like you know there'll be an album you know down the line too and sure you know we gotta save. you gotta save a little gas in the tank so that's a deep. good point yeah it's a good point actually to kind of like almost like relegate like EPs or something like so that when the album comes out and it's a big campaign, a big package, it blows you away. That's kind of smart. Yeah. And it's definitely tempting to be like, yeah, like, oh, we can make this cool color match this thing or whatever. But uh, I think, you know, holding back a little bit is, is good too. And yeah, um, sometimes just having the vinyl at all is, is, cool to people. I'm going to ask you more about design and aesthetic um, in, in a little bit uh, because I've noticed a trend uh, with your label and, and everything looks great. By the way, this happens all the time on this show and I love it. And I'm like doing research for a label and I'm like just going deep diving through the releases. And I don't know about you, but like my Apple Music library or iTunes library as it used to be known is like just tons of thousands of records and I don't know where they came from. And I saw Mm -hmm. in your roster, the major Murphy EP, the, I think it's Lafayette. And I, I saw that on your page and I don't know how I ever came across that, but I streamed that years ago, like nonstop one spring or summer. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it was cool because I was like, Oh, that's their record. That's just got, it's just funny. I don't know how on earth I would have ever come across it. Obviously just the normal, like on Twitter or something, but anyway. Totally. Yeah. That, that EP is a special one. I feel like, uh, we, a lot of the songs on that project were like the first songs we had ever heard from major Murphy slash Jacob, who's like, you know, the primary songwriter in that project. And he had just uploaded those on Bandcamp. Um, and we kind of, he, he actually reached out to us about playing a show and that's kind of how we discovered yeah. him through yeah. his band camp stuff. And like, we were like, this is amazing. Do you want to like, you know, put out these songs? Like we were ready to put them out. And he was like, actually, I want to start a band called Major Murphy. And like, <laughs> like, that's my solo stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, we're going to do a band. So, you know, there's this like years long, like, you know, here's the band's first EP. Here's the band's yeah. second EP. Here's the 
here's the record, the debut record for the band. And those songs were like demo versions that ended up on that record. Right. And then, you know, that song Come By Sunday was just an amazing song, right? We have to like so put good. this out one way or the other. And this was like kind of the only way we could like convince uh Jacob and the and the rest of the band to like put it out as this kind of like, you know, B sides EP thing. Yeah. I hate that. Whenever I hear something, I'm like, this is amazing. Let's release this. And their artists are like, oh, no, 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 no. That's like, uh, that's a scratch vocal take. We got to, you know, that's, or I don't, I'm not doing those, that song anymore. Like, I'm like, no, this is so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and I totally get it. I think Jacob like envisions that song. He's like, he's got like a grander vision for it, which right. I'm, that's I'm excited for. It. And I think it can still, you know, down the road, like yeah. I'm sure it'll be created at some point. Yeah. Just like in the meantime, I think it's cool to kind of release the other versions of this stuff too. The funny thing is, is like I said, I came into that EP just in the normal, like saw it, clicked on it, listened to it, and didn't stop listening to it. And I, I think it's funny because now as I as I went into the, and actually just yesterday, I was digging deeper into the discography of the band and I was realizing like what you're saying is that this was kind of like a demo version of some of these songs appeared somewhere else. And it's funny, like I didn't know that as a fan. I didn't know that this was a, a like a compilation of different ideas that would be something else. It, I just thought it was a great EP. But then when, all of a sudden now you put these, poison into my brain that oh no you're not, these songs are not supposed to be this is not the final version but it's just funny how uh, us as music fans like we don't hear all of that we just enjoy something for what it is i think that's kind of cool totally totally and you know i think uh i think there's like inherent value in both you know it's like the demo versions like are what got me really into like jacob's songwriting mm -hmm. and like you know, what is possible in this band. And it's like some of those demos that were re-recorded ended up being some of their biggest songs, you know, sure. it's like yeah. the re-recording and like adding that shine in the studio, like really did like take it an extra, like, that's cool. you know, hundred miles for them or whatever. I don't know if I noticed this properly and I don't know if this is a thing you were involved with or if you've done before on your label, but it seemed to me like they had like a major release and then an EP, like a kind of a auxiliary EP with demos and such. And they did that. They've done, it seems to me that they've done that twice. Is that like a strategy that you were involved with or, or like, what's your opinion on that? Cause I'm a big, big fan of like doing your studio thing, but then like, not being precious about your demos, releasing your demos and basically like feeding the machine with anything that's on your iPhone or hard drive. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, I think that's something that we always suggest. Like, I think we call it like phase two, you know? Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And it's like phase one is like the album yeah. campaign and like phase two is the like pointing people oh, back cool. to the album cool. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm stealing that. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's a super fun thing. Like I definitely get it. Like as a music fan, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to hear this like weird remix or like this demo, yeah. but then sometimes it's like amazing and yeah. it's like a really cool artifact. And it, it just depends on your level of fandom for each, each band. And, um, you know, sometimes I think there's ways to like, you know, toy with that if it's like, 
maybe don't call this a demo, maybe give it a different name and people, you know, like you said, don't have that like poison in their brain. Good point. Yeah. 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 Don't call it a demo. That's cool. Yeah. We kind of, you know, we did like a phase two thing with uh, this band Slow Pulp when we put out their, like um, their debut record. Um, We were kind of talking about, all right, what would be like the B sides with it or like phase two and, um, they were going to record some acoustic versions and instead of calling them like, you know, Idaho acoustic, we like had the idea to like rename them just like different song names entirely. Wow. That I feel like, you know, any fan discerning fan would know like, Oh yeah, this is the acoustic version of that song. And I think we named them such that it's like pretty obvious that it's like, you know, related to the other song. Very cool. But just enough where it's like someone who wouldn't know would just take it for what it is. And I, I liked that a lot because it kind of gave, you know, you the best of both worlds in some ways. I'm totally stealing that idea. I love that because I often do an acoustic version of a record and an instrumental version. And I, and I recently did an instrumental version of a record. And it's they're not just the vocals stripped away, but there's some instruments that are that didn't make the mix that are, are now being used and, and vice versa. And... And then I did a different track listings, but I like the different name version. That's really cool. I I think I love that you said phase two. And I really want our listeners to pick up on this because so many times people are like, I release a record and then it gets forgotten. And so thinking about the, what's happening after release day, something we talk about a lot. But when you said phase two, I kind of thought of like the indie small indie artists version of like going on tour and getting TMZ headlines because like, you know, Taylor Swift can release a record and then depending on who she's dating or not dating and then the global world tour, she's going to be in the news cycle. Even same thing for like Phoebe, like they're going to be in the news cycle for the next year mm-hmm. with in that phase two for non-music things. And so it's kind of like for us, um, we have to kind of have like our own way to get into like the feed, you know? And and I feel like these type of little releases or like, I don't know, like artist commentaries or different, you know, a YouTube series is our way of doing that. You know, I don't know. I just like, I like that totally. term phase two. Yeah. And I think often what happens when you do like put out an album and like people take notice of it is, you know, you get invited on tour by a larger band or, you know, you go do your own headline tour. And often those things don't line up perfectly timeline wise with your like album rollout. So it's like having this kind of like phase two content or material in the bag, so to speak, you know, you can, then you can like slot that in with, you know, ahead of that big, headline tour or a head of that, like, you know, cool sport tour that you got mm-hmm. or some other yeah. thing, you know, and just yeah. kind of have it ready to go when the yeah. time's right. Love it. Love it. Okay. That was a good 31 minute cold open. Now I want to ask you, <laughs> welcome. Um, I want to ask you about the history of your labels. So you mentioned it goes back to 2015. So can you tell me like how this all got started? Yeah. Um, so I guess technically it goes back a little farther before we started the label. Um, You know, I think around, I don't remember if it was 2013 or 2014 at this point, but, um, you know, Ben and I met in college in Bloomington in, um, at, at Indiana university. 
Um, we were both going there. I think I was like a senior at the time and he was a freshman and we linked up and, um, I was doing like an extra year for some like grad school stuff. And so I was going to be around a little longer. And like, um, I think we kind of quickly realized we had like a similar taste in music Mm -hmm. and like a similar appreciation Mm -hmm. for like smaller bands, like up and coming, um, kind of artists and, we started through kind of doing more shows and like booking and promoting shows in Bloomington. And, um, we would do, it was kind of under like wind spear presents and we do house shows, um, like at Ben's house, he had some roommates and, you know, they'd kind of throw these like house party house show, um, situations Mm -hmm. and we'd you know bring in bands and like um but then we also would start doing like booking shows at like the bishop like the local bloomington venue and there's another spot called the block house we do a lot of shows and it kind of just became a a thing where we could you know bring in bands that we really liked and paired them with like local or regional bands that we really liked as well and it just kind of snowballed from there and like i think from the start of that, there was always this idea of like starting a label. And I don't know if I would have ever done it if like Ben wasn't like, oh, let's do this thing. Okay. You know, like I think it was something I was always interested in, but maybe never had like the gumption to just like go start on my own. Right. Um but yeah, I mean I, I think in that way, like we we've made a great team and like you know, him kind of bringing that energy and, you know, me being like, all right, yeah, let's do it. Like, here's, here's how it'll go or something like that. Can I ask you, why did you, like, why were you booking shows? Like what, what part of your personality or your, or your gifts were you like wanting to get into the music scene or, or finding yourself in that role? Totally. I I played in bands like since, I mean, I was in middle school, I guess I like, you know, always had some, some band that I was, you know, starting or playing in or something. And so I, I mean, I had like booked a lot of shows for my band and like a lot of tours for my band, like even in high school Mm -hmm. and like early college. Mm -hmm. And I'd kind of like been through all that and like met a lot of bands on tour and like, you know, just playing different shows. And like, I think kind of through doing that and realizing, you know, there's all this great music out there that like just no one knows about. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And um, that there's a lot that can be done to kind of like bring and like support and uplift these artists um, in Bloomington, but also just like generally. Yeah. So so was it 2015 where you were like, this is a, we have a name, we have a a website, like talk to me about that, like launch. Yeah, I'm a little, you know, like we're getting, you know, close to 10 years on now at this okay. point. It's like I get I get a little murky about exactly <laughs> what the timeline was, like yeah. when we launched the website, because I know we were doing some like when Spear presents stuff and yeah. then, you know, Ben is like very into like, you know, hitting up the, the like booking agents and like sure. talking to them and like seeing what bands are coming through and all that stuff. So we were kind of like setting that stuff up. We might've had the website going a little before the label eventually started, but mm-hmm. I put the like label launch date is 2015 with our first release. Right. Um, and it was this band from, I, I think when we started the label, this was either at the end of 2014 or 15, when we were like, we're going to do the label. We just like, ask a bunch of our friends if they wanted to be on our website. Yeah. I did the same thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, Which I think is uh, something a lot of people do. Um, 
which just to look legit right away. Yeah. Just to look legit. Well, it was like, it was like, Hey, like we want to work with you eventually. Like a lot of these artists, like were just local bands. They didn't ever record their music. They didn't have anything to put out. A lot of the bands that we asked to do that never even got to that point. They broke up before then. (laughs) Whatever, you know, we were in college, people graduate and move away. It's just like how it goes. And, um, so like one of those people we'd ask to be on our website and, and there was a little bit of like, it wasn't just like asking whoever it was like people we were like, yeah, yeah. had book shows <laughs> for or friends with, or we liked their music. And, um, one of the people we'd asked was like Kevin Crowder, um, who we'd like heard a demo of mm. once. And we were like, that stuff's really cool. Like let's ask him to be on our website. And he was yeah. like super stoked to be on our, <laughs> our website, which is which was like really funny yeah, yeah. um and like kevin definitely ended up being like an integral part of like the early label days and um but our first release was some friends of mine from evansville called thunder dreamer um which is where i grew up um oh, okay. in, in evansville indiana which is like you know essentially you know kentucky it's so far south in indiana uh, okay um but um yeah, they'd released some stuff on Bandcamp that I thought was just amazing, but like, you know, had never put it up on like the streaming services yeah. or like, you know, made any sort of physical uh, versions of it. And I think 2015 was like, you know, maybe a little before that too, was that sweet zone where like a lot of artists didn't see the like upside of like putting their music on like iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, any of that stuff. Yeah. It wasn't really what it is today. Um, and so, you know, I think for a lot of those early bands and artists, it was a lot of um, just being like, hey, like, really like your stuff. Like, we could put this up on the streaming services and, like, make a run of cassette tapes for you kind okay. of thing. And okay. so yeah. I think Thunder Dreamer, we, we essentially, like, you know, reissued more or less, like, their first EP and their first record and, like, got it up on streaming services and, like, made some cassettes and CDs. And, you know, that that was it. I don't think we knew what else to do beyond that. Well, but that was the first release. I was the 20. same way be, around that time because it was, like, the the... Th- if you could figure out how to get music on streaming platform, well, there was like there like Spotify. I don't even know if like Spotify had just broken into North America. I think around that time, but it certainly was not like mainstream. And so like it was maybe just like iTunes downloads. Uh, and so yeah, I'm just like, but the one thing that like labels had it was that we could like figure out how to get their music on to those platforms and artists had no idea. Now artists have an idea, <laughs> but back then. Totally. And, and I think a big inspiration for me was like, um, you know, my, my band at the time when I was in college, um, we were like releasing our music through another Indiana record label called Jurassic Pop okay. um, Records, which like shout out to those guys, J- Jeff and Dylan, they're awesome. And they, um, I feel like they definitely were like an early model for us of like, Oh, and, and like, you know, going through that experience of like releasing our tape through them, I'm like, Oh, like I could do this. Uh, I I see, I see what they're doing. Like not, not in a, like I could do this for my own band. Cause I, I definitely like appreciated like the value that they brought and like definitely in Indiana, it felt like a, like, Oh yeah. Like having their name on our cassette tape or like their name behind us felt really you know, cool. And, oh, um, that's nice. Yeah. And m- more so of like, Oh, I 
I see like the model and how it could work and how like I could do this with other artists. That's and really so that cool. was definitely like a, you know, eye opener of just seeing someone else doing it and realizing that it's like, you know, not this like elusive thing. Sure. So booking shows and being involved with the artists live aspect is not something that labels are certainly not traditionally involved with. And, and most labels aren't too involved with that. Um, are you still involved with that or how did that transition from putting on these showcases or sorry, these, these live events into you started a label? Is that something you abandoned or, or have you kept that going? Um, I mean, we don't do any like Windsphere present shows mm -hmm. anymore and we mm -hmm. haven't since like, I don't know, 2018 or something. Right. But, um, I think, you know, we still do like most years we've done like a South by showcase, okay. which like, yeah, I think our experience doing shows like makes that a lot simpler for us to do. Yeah. And like we, we, most years the, the pandemic definitely derailed this tradition, but we were doing like a annual, like we call it the wind sphere view, which is like a, just a label showcase and it has kind of like moved cities every year and we'll yeah. bring together oh, like cool. three or four of our artists and just like have a show mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's always really fun just yeah. kind of hanging out and getting to like make a cool poster about our friend designs and, yeah. you know, just kind of like do that whole thing. The, um, you talked a little bit about college and I remember like, <clears throat> I kind of met some of the, these guys I was, started the label with they were in college at the time and they had and the bands we were working for were in college and they were all in the same like basically we could like put on a show and they could just tell all their friends and hundreds of people would come out and everybody in college in the winter everybody's excited and looking for something to do and then that disappears like in the summer and then the next year those people are in a different program or gone and it's like I remember thinking so confidently like oh my goodness we just built a scene overnight and then it disappeared and then of course like people get jobs and have kids and you realize like, like you don't have that as easily anymore. It's kind of sad. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's just, just life in some ways. And it's like, you know, maybe people would say it was sad if you just kept doing that, you know? Yeah. Good point. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, uh, the one constant in life, right? Yeah. Change. Yeah, that's true. Um, so does your label have like a North star or like some sort of like tangible or intangible parameters? Maybe it's like artwork and aesthetic of your re releases. I, I personally see that. I feel that you obviously do, you know, um, a small amount of releases every year, which is kind of cool. Um, as a curator of the label, are you able to put your finger on whatever it is that you like and that you think is Windspear? Yeah, I mean, I think it's ebbed and flowed through the years what that is as, as far as, like, what the fingerprint is or, like, mm -hmm. what we're kind of searching for is, mm -hmm. like, this is the wind spear sound or aesthetic or mm -hmm. look or something like that. And, you know, it's always always changing and evolving as we as people change sure. and evolve and our yeah. tastes change and evolve. Yeah. And, you know, where we live and like how much time we're spending on this thing or that thing or what have you. But, you know, I, I think it is the components of like 
what, what it has been up to this point, at least has been like, you know, the components have been in myself and like our tastes. And like, if you look at it, if you think of visualize us as like a Venn diagram and it's like where our two circles intersect, uh, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's like, we have all sorts of tastes and interests and like, you know, uh, visual aesthetic preferences and a lot of the stuff is where these tastes intersect but also you know it's like also an intersection of what the artists like as well because mm. we're not very like prescriptive about like you know what the artwork needs to look like sure. like you know we're pretty hands-off in that world like we definitely want to guide the conversation towards something that like we like and want to like represent yeah um but, you know, most of the time that's part of the A&R process too, where it's like, we're probably not going to work with an artist if we feel like, mm. you know, it's not going to align visually as well with like, you know, at least like uh, that's know, something interesting. that I could like. Yeah. I never, yeah. I never thought of that. Like in that kind of like courting period, um, it's not necessarily just about the music. That is kind of interesting. I mean, obviously you're meeting them and, and, kind of getting a sense of their personality and, and their character, but um, even something down to like their aesthetic and their artwork is kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, for, for better, for worse. And it's like, sometimes, you know, not having a strong vibe is a vibe in some ways, or that is an aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like it, it just depends from artist to artist. And I don't think we're like, looking for artists that have like an in-house graphic designer on right. their, you know, yeah, yeah. their bass player yeah. is the, like a, a, an excellent yeah. graphic designer or something like that. That's, yeah. But you know, it's like having a look like that does help kind of like sell it for me personally, yeah. you know, and like I do think for a lot of other people too, it's like, there is more to all of this than like just the one dimensional aspect. And I That's think. So true. I completely agree. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're multidimensional creatures, so we got to mm -hmm. be able to experience that with you yeah. know, what we're interacting yeah, with. Yeah, for sure. You were talking a little bit about, when we were talking about the compilation, you were talking about how you have these kind of like multiple touch points and these multiple like... I always think of them like as multiple kicks of the can, whether it's like a new, something you can pitch to Spotify as like in streaming world. And then of course, like the vinyl and then the giveaway um, sampler component. What has worked for you? Is there a part of the business model for your label that you rely on financially? Or is it a bunch of things or uh, that, you know, just all like the pie is evenly split or, or is there something that is like you found to be, works well for you as an, as a, a leader and, and for your customers? Yeah. I mean, I'd say digital is definitely like a big component for us. It, it sort of, and I don't know if that's just like the time we came up in and like the era that we started the mm -hmm. label was right in that sweet zone where it's like, you could just like, email a couple people at Spotify or Apple and like get on this or that playlist and then start racking up the streams, right, you know, but right. like, I, I definitely like think of our releases as the digital release being like the primary component of it and everything kind of being an extension of that in some mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, it's like, if you think about like catalog numbers or something, like in my mind, like the digital release is like the root catalog number, right. like yeah. the root of all that. And then everything else is kind of like ancillary to that. Um, mm. And in the sense, it's like, that's where you start, right? It's like, before you do anything with the release, it's like, you got to have those like, you know, finished mastered versions yeah. of the record in, you know, wave format or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. kind of like start start working on the vinyl, start working on the cassette, like yeah. sending it around to publicists, like pitching it for sync, like all that kind of stuff. So I guess if I'm like categorizing things, like that is definitely an important part. Um, and, and also we've built the business for that to be like an important, like reliable source of our income. Um, but you know, vinyl is important as well. Like mm -hmm. that is an important aspect, like sync. We've definitely like had had some luck with that and had some like you know count on that as one of the many streams but yeah. i'm sure as like anyone would say it's like a combination of all of it yeah and it's like yeah even even the digital component as well it's like you know it's not all just spotify it's sure like, you know there's like apple music there's amazon there's Bandcamp. there's like yeah. all these other places where it's like every piece of it kind of adds up and you know even though spotify is the majority of it well that's yeah. That's a smart point. I mean, two smart points, but yeah, you're right. I mean, revenue, multiple revenue streams is so key for any business and, and as a record label, but you're talking about multiple revenue streams within those multiple revenue streams. And like you mentioned the streaming things, but even vinyl can be, you have retail, you can have direct to customer, you can have like a, a club that you run, you know, or that you have like a, a giveaway or a contest component to your vinyl. Um, that's, that's so profound. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. And I mean, even within Spotify, right. It's like, there are so many different stream sources and sources of revenue where you're talking about like revenue from playlists versus revenue from like radio versus revenue from like the algorithmic, like discovery playlist yep. versus just people going to your profile and, and it's just like, your fans. Yeah. Just yep. your fans. And yep. like, you know, for better, or for worse. Now those are even different pay rates that you're getting. For right. Those yeah. And, yeah. Um, it, some artists like do better in one area or the other and you know it kind of maybe will help and knowing that that's the case and where that money's coming from or where that success mm. is coming from will like help inform your decisions about like what to do next for that artist or maybe to try that you know same strategy or, or a piece of that strategy for another release or something like yeah. that. Yeah and I agree with you I think I never really put my finger on it but I do think of the digital as the the as the the parent as the primary like I, I do I do think of that I often because the vinyl you're splitting up the sides and then the cassettes you have to kind of match the sides so I've done alternate track listings for those and and alternate artwork for the vinyl you know for various reasons and so I yeah I kind of feel that way too thinking about my digital as like that's the main and ultimately that is what sells the most copies if you combine the streams you know um, right. so yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's the thing that'll also usually keep going. It lives on. It, it lives on. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, maybe, maybe the vinyl will go out of print or like, yeah. you know, the artist will stop touring and like, you know, but like maybe people will keep streaming that record for, you know, years. So yeah. It's like, yeah, that's definitely, yeah. Yeah. Feel, feels so true. Right. We had this album that kind of just really hit 
back in 2015 and and it still does and the artists had like completely retired and like became a hermit and he messaged me a couple like maybe a couple months ago and was like i think we should take that album off streaming i'm not really being an artist anymore so i took it off streaming and then i got all these emails from people being like it just disappeared where'd it go and i feel bad for them because like like I get it. Like I think everybody just thought it would be there for eternity, and now it's gone. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's cool though. To like, I think artists sometimes forget like how many people because you just see these like, you compare yourself to like this larger artist that has like half a million monthly listeners or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. and it's like yeah. here you are with like you know you're like ten thousand monthly listeners, and you're like man, like no one listens to my music really. Like, yeah. There's not that many people. Yeah. It's like, you forget, like there's like 10,000 people out there listening to your oh music. My gosh. And if you took it down, like you'd probably get like a hundred emails. Of oh people my gosh. Yeah. Where their favorite record went. Oh my gosh. That's so true. And you, have you ever heard, like somebody told me one time, it's like, uh, I mean, 10,000 is a massive number, but like, even if you had 250 monthly listeners, put 250 people in a club, and you're going to feel pretty good about yourself. You know what I mean? If you're playing to that many people, I often totally. think about that too on YouTube. Like you might have like 50 views on a video or a hundred views, but put those people in your house to listen to you speak. And that's going to feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. Cause it's like just having, you know, 250 monthly listeners or 10,000 monthly listeners. It's like that, that doesn't mean that you, you know, have a career off of it. No, sure. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think some people are, are able to make it work through different ways, but like, you know, that, you know, that from Spotify alone is not going to be enough for you, yeah, you totally. know, as an artist. So it's like, it, it does feel tough when it's like, that's your, you know, barrier to like, you know, doing it full time yeah, or like yeah. your, your threshold or something like that. But it definitely doesn't mean your art isn't valuable or like important to people or meaningful, you know, and that's yeah. also like a cool thing to think about. I want to ask you a, a completely uh, impossible and pointless question, but would you start the label again today, knowing what you know and what you've experienced? I mean, you talk about this sweet spot in 2015, and there's been sweet spots over the the you know the past few decades, and there's been mm-hmm. not sweet spots. Um, but if you had to restart today, would you do that? Um, I mean, do I get to have the knowledge that I know now or not? Uh, I don't know. I've never played this game before. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. You can have the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. If I have the knowledge I know now, I definitely would do it. And I would, I feel like I could get to where I am now a lot faster because I know all of my past mistakes, maybe not even mistakes is the right word, but just like, just learning the hard way of like how to release Uh, do a record campaign properly like having all these connections to you know the networks that have been set up and whatnot um i I feel like you can move a lot faster through all the different phases you know what and and it's like but that's obviously not how life works and and i think it's so funny because i talked to some people and they're kind of discouraged about how their label's going and it's been maybe six months or it's been a year and i kind of like i I try to delicately tell them like, you know, like 
give it five to 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think you'll figure yeah. it out. And it's like, that's like super hard for anyone to hear, but anyone who has stuck it out can look back over seven years or eight years and be like, well, I'm glad I, I stuck it out because it's starting to work. I'm starting to figure this out. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like it took us like three or four years before we kind of were like, okay, like I see a path for how we can like, yeah. you know, really like make each record, like, you know, stick out or like, this is how, how it should be done. You know, it's like when we first started doing it, we didn't even know how it should be done. Like, right, you know, right. we were just trying to, you know, you're just like flailing in the deep end sort of, <laughs> but, um, I find it's like collecting, you, know, you figure it out. I find it's like collecting, like the the things you definitely don't want to do again or you don't need to do and the things mm -hmm. that do you do want to do and you should do and i just like it's just like collecting more and more of those things that to me is like what success is it's like you don't need to do this do more of this yeah totally and and i think it's like also having the the time component is like giving yourself the ability to like take all these risks where it's like normally like i don't think we would have taken like i think back in 2015 like pressing vinyl would be like a huge risk and like you know you know maybe like planning some tour for this artist or like taking a trip out to new york to meet with like people about this artist mm -hmm. like some of these things would be like a huge risk that we wouldn't do but it's like doing them kind of like adding on one extra layer, like each time we do a new release and like realizing you can do it and realizing kind of like the financials and like how it all fits together allows you to kind of like take that step on the next one. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of like part of the process as well. I think it took us like two and a half years of doing the label before we did our first vinyl release, you know? Do you, th we <laughs> Do you think risk, like risk taking is something that you should have done earlier? Do you think that's like a real key component to things? Cause that's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say like, oh, if we would have done, you know, press this to vinyl or that to vinyl, like it would have gone. And like, I do think we got lucky in that, like the first thing we pressed to vinyl was like, definitely like you know, should have impressed the vinyl and like mm. really worked out. Yeah, and, like, good. Cause I've definitely like known other labels who it's like, they felt like they just pressed all the wrong releases to vinyl when oh, you're in that yeah, early zone yeah. and you're trying to decide like what gets the vinyl treatment, what gets the cassette treatment, what's yeah. digital only. Like, yeah. um, you know, you have to kind of have the ability to maybe like separate like what, like, you know, having that path for it or yeah. something like that to yeah. like sell through 500 copies versus like an artist where it's like, this record's amazing, but it's like, they're going to do three shows for the rest of the year. And that's it. And right. it's like, that's probably not going to be a great investment, you know? So there's a bit of like discernment you have to, you have to kind of learn or, or gain somehow. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm. Totally. Or like, you know, you have to like, I think like for us, like linking up with secretly distribution too, is like a big confidence boost in the sense of like knowing that if we press this record and like put it through their distribution network, like we're going to be able to move like, you know, three to 500 copies, maybe like 300 copies sure. alone through that. And that kind of gives you that boost of like, okay, well, 
I, if, if they can move 300 copies through secretly and like we can move like this many number through our web store and the band can move this many yeah. through their tour, yeah. it's like this, this can happen. This is like viable, you know, that's the best. I mean, that is really, to me, that's been like the, the game changer. And I feel like that's the threshold that you can cross over is when you have, when you know, you have certain copies, especially for physical that are spoken for then to mm -hmm. me, which you can't have in the digital world. So if, and we talked to a label, um, I think there was a label once who had like a membership uh, group who like people paid an annual fee to get every record they released that year. And so mm -hmm. moving forward for the year, whatever quantity they pressed, they knew they had a hundred records already sold. And joyful like joyful noise, right? Yeah, maybe it was joyful noise. Yeah, I'm I'm I thought it was um um specialist subject from the UK, but oh, joyful they might, noise, they, they probably have well. yeah, they probably have a plan for that too. Yeah, Indiana label gotta, you know, yeah, gotta yeah. Show <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh either yeah, way they have that subscription model, which yeah. I think is super cool. And like, yeah. yeah, that definitely like helps like their decision making process about like you know, how to do their yeah. pressings. It's it's a different calculus for them, you know, than it is for another label. And if you combine that with, let's say, like you mentioned a distributor and you've combined that with uh, like the fan base, like your fan base can for sure buy 20 to 50 and the band's mm. fan base, the band, if five people in the band, each one should be able to sell at least 10 copies on their own. Like you can kind of do that math yeah. and go, all right, I think we're going to have 150 of the 200 taken care of. Let's move forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And yeah. yeah, sometimes it's just like, you got to do that math in your head and like, you know, think about it. Sometimes there's a little more of just the like, I believe people will hear this and like it. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah it'll move, but you know, obviously, um, you know, there's, there's different kind of factors connected to all of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, listen, it's been so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, it's yeah, I just love, I love doing this and I, I, it's so great to hear somebody's perspective because these little things that I've thought about, or I, I, I know, but I hadn't really thought about and for you to give it a name, um, it's, uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Of course, yeah, yeah. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Happy to do it. And thank you to you all for listening. Thanks to Jared from Windspear for being on the show. Thanks to Emma Bowers who helped produce this episode. If you wanna learn more about Windspear, go to windspear.biz. That's W-I-N-S-P-E-A-R dot biz, where you can look and hear some of the records we talked about in today's episode. And come to our website, otherrecordlabels.com, with new resources being added every single day to help take the mystery out of running a record label. <laughs>